0: Today I'm going to tell you about Madhu Malti, which is another of the Premakhyans, the vernacular literature. You will uh, learn that how this vernacular literature can be used as a source of history, which was written way back in 1545, and uh, what is the context of the story, why this story is so important as a source of history the story begins with king suraj Khan, who has no child for many years and he serves as an ascetic for almost 12 years who uh, you know finally gave queen a magical food to eat and this results in the queen giving birth to a son so the astrologers calculated the time of birth considering the position of the planet and gave this child name manohar who is the main character of the story so uh, it is this uh, this uh, story of madhumanti is a love story of manohar and Madhumalati, the girl and the device used to order the plot is the night meeting between lovers and this is done through the flying nymphs this motif has been taken by manjan razgiri the author of the text possibly from the story of arabian Nights. so the story is about the love relationship between manohar and madhumalti Wherein you get episodes of coming together and separation, that is, Dira. Now, while describing the separation, Madhu Malti is shown being transformed into a bird which flies around the globe in search of Manohar. And this bird motive is also possibly under the influence of Islamic mystique, mystique literature, which Manjan Rajgiri must have read. So in these Islamic mystic literature, you find the dove, which is often shown as a spirit. Uh, but unlike other Premathyans, the the story of madhumalti ends with a lovely note of the marriage between Manohar and madhumalti As I mentioned before, Madhu Malti was composed in 1545 by Sheikh Neer Sayyid Manjan Rajgiri, who was popularly known as Rajgiri. And he belonged to a place in Bihar called Rajgir. So again, this uh, composer of the text is also from the mid-Ganga Basin. He was a Sufi of the Sattari order and a disciple of Muhammad Ghaus. Uh, Gwaliori, who also belonged to the 16th century. Like Kadapema Khyans, Madhumalati poem was also written in Avadhi, which is also known as Eastern Hindvi, and the script is Persian. Uh, the, there are various symbolics of power which has been used Uh, in uh, Madhumalpi. For example, Humayu is said to have extended the Sattari support to articulate his political authority. And on the other side, in an atmosphere where Sufi sheikhs and the orders competed for political and economic patronage, From the Mughal and Afghan courts. The Satais, like the Chishtis, were part of this dominant order which was trying to establish itself in a position of uh, cultural and political hegemony. After Shersa, who was displaced. uh, who actually uh, ruled over the erstwhile Mughal Empire and he displaced Muhammadiyu from the throne in 1540, there was a political crisis of sort for many Shatari Sufis who were close to the Mughal court. Sheikh uh, Muhammad Gauz had been instrumental in the Mughal capture of Gwalia from the Afghans and Junar Fort immediately after Sher Sa's victory. So, uh, you know, what uh, he does is that uh, uh, Muhammad ghaus uh, he orders Muhammad ghaus to be killed, and Mohammed ghaus had to flee from Gwalior in fear. Now, the evidence of this we get in uh, some other literature like, for example, in uh, uh, *Kulliyat uh, Gwaliyari, which was written by Muhammad Gauss' disciple, Fazal Ali Shattari, he has mentioned about this flight of Muhammad ghaus in fear of Sherzah's advance. Uh, Muhammad Gauss left for Khan into the forest, and in Khan local landowners served him the hospitality so when sher learned this his, he sent his sister's son Bhaktiar jung with an army to kill him sher himself then enters into gwalior now the moment muhammad ghaus comes to know about it and this is all this is mentioned in kulliyat e gwaliori the source the the Shatari source. So after Muhammad Gauss fled, uh, learns about this, he flees to Gujarat. Sheta, after winning over Gwalior, he then marches towards Kalilja and he sends a letter to Sultan Mahmud Shah, who was at that time ruling at Gujarat, that Muhammad Gauss be handed over to him. Otherwise, he will take violent measures against him. So, Fazal al-Sattari, who has uh, recorded this Kuliyat gwaliri he records that Sheikh Muhammad Gauss was <clears throat> very distressed by this firman of Sher Shah, And he bows his hands down to the ground in contemplation. And Gauss is said to have said, that they have, I quote, they have martyred this Fakir's brother at Bayana and hung his head on the door. And now they have come for the Fakir. Whatever God wills, will happen. Now it so happened that after a little while, Gauss raised his head with great anger and said today I have killed the tyrant tomorrow God will kill him and smoke began to rise from the ear. when the present you know those who were around at that time near the smoke they asked what is happening and then he said Sher Sa has been burnt up in Kalinjaf from the pipe of gunpowder and his son Jalal Khan has become the king under the name of Islam Shah. So the, uh, the account of uh, Sheikh Mohammed Gao's curse to Sher Shah actually frightened Islam Shah, who is ruling, in, who becomes the successor of Sher Shah in 1545. So it Gauss' curse to Shersa has frightened Islam Sa and he was frightened so much that he came all the way to Muhammad Gauss and his kanka and begged pardon for his uh, now uh, diseased father's violent action against Gauss' life. So Muhammad Gauss pardons Islamsa but he he did not go back to Gwalior and preferred to stay in Gujarat. But one of his disciples, who is Manjhan Rajgiri, the author of Malti, he was allowed to stay near Islam Shah. So you understand the context Islam Shah is the ruler under whose patronage Manjhan Rajgiri is writing. This text, Madu Maldi. So the Sufis were involved in, you know, approving and denying the legitimacy to the kings. So at that time, uh, the kings often sought uh, uh, Sufi sheikhs' uh, supernatural authority to legitimize their rule. And we get evidence of this in many other, you know, contexts. So here also, the author of the text is writing a text at a polit at a time and in a political atmosphere, which is which is of fear, and it is a political atmosphere in which Shataris are trying to establish themselves as the dominant order. Richard Eaton has argued that uh, similar political claims came from Bengali Sufi saints. And uh, he wrote, if you read his The Rise of Islam in the Bengal Frontier, in that book he writes that uh, being closer to God than uh, worrying princes would ever hope to be Muslim saints' take a moral claim as God's representation or not. So in this view, the princely rulers possess no natural right to earthly power. Rather, they had only been entrusted with a temporary lease of such power through the grace of some Muslim saints. And this perspective perhaps explains why in Indo-Muslim history, we so often find Sufis predicting who would attain political office. And this, how or who would attain political office, and for how long they would hold it, all this is very much relevant. Now, uh, behind the explicit act of prediction, Lay the implicit act of appointment, and that is of a Sufi's uh, entrusting his uh, vilayat or earthly domain to a prince. So the Sufis practically also needed the kings to be their patrons. They depended on the flow of arms and patronage, which is futuhat, from the political rulers for the establishment and maintenance of khanka. So Aditya Bahal, uh, in his masterpiece on Madhumalati, has called it as a conception of superiority yet dependence. So the authority of the king and that of the Sufis are interdependent, and each is seeking legitimacy or patronage from the other. So if you if we uh, uh, read through the, the story of Muhammad Ghaos Kualiari, his superiority and dependence among the Mughals was uh, the prime factor behind the rejection among the Afghans. Since he and Sattari Silsila played a, a, a very important role in the defeat of the regional Afghan sultans and the sultanates by the Mughals, they were enemies of the Sur-Afghan sultans. And that's why Sheikh Asuri was after him. Now, Manjan Radgiri in Madhumalati has mentioned both Sheikh Muhammad Ghaus and Islam Shah. But this does not tell of the entire story. As mentioned uh, above in this uh, story of uh, uh, Muhammad Ghaos, uh that Islam Shah actually wanted a patronage of the satari Sufis and uh, Manjhan actually came as uh, as one of the disciples of uh, Muhammad ghaus Waliyari because of the fear that Muhammad ghaus had created through his curse and he has created a situation through his curse which killed Sher Sa. So possibly Islam Sa would not be spared if he doesn't follow the order of Momagau's Gwaliri. Now, in the background of this development has a long history of political intrigues in which Chiskis, the Nakshbandis and the shataris took one or the other side in the 16th century. Like other Susilas, the uh, Shataris were also trying to carve out new territories. The Chistis had long relationship with the Delhi Sultanate and Afghan Sultans. They did not uh, back the Mughals in their fight for supremacy, and that is why the Chistis were not patronized by the early Mughal rulers like Babur, or for that matter even Himayu after the defeat of Ibrahim Lodi at Panipat in 1526. So we have evidence of the Chisti Sikhs writing angry letters to Babur asking for his exemption from remaining from the Sufis. On the other hand, Babur gave a land grant, if we have evidence of this, Babur he gave a land grant of uh, over a thousand biga near Goliath, to Sheikh Mohammed Ghaus to set up a hospice. And this was as a reward for passing useful information during the siege of Gwalior fort. So, uh, in that sense, uh, Mohammed Ghaus and his yogic and ascetic practices got full state support and patronage. Let me tell you that Mohammed Ghaus had settled in Gwalior in 1523 and he had gradually acquired a considerable following among the local people. So this enabled him to intervene in the political and, you know, the military struggle between Afghans and the Mughals. Now, when it comes to Humayu, he got extremely interested in the occult and uh, mystical practices of the Sataris. And uh, Badaini, has mentioned that Humayu was very disturbed by the murder of Muhammad ghaus brother, Sheikh Fool, by Humayu's uh, courtier, Mirza Hindal. So even after Humayu's defeat against Sayyid Sa and his exile in Iran, Muhammad ghaus continued to be the, you know, he, uh, you know, in secret correspondence with Humayu. Now, cutting the story short, what I'm trying to tell you is that Madhu Malti has been written in a particular political context. And the Shatari's it should be read as a Shattari literature, a Shattari literature which is also in a way trying to... uh, to tell the story to the local people about love and sacrifice. So their ideal of love is told through these two characters of Madhu Malti and Manohar. So in Madhu Malti, the models of Chandayan, the Brigavati, or for that matter Padmavat, have been emulated. All the four poets of the four literatures use the same, Form. They all draw on the conventions of the Persian masnavi, and all the four have prologues with the praise of God. So, the god Muhammad, the pagamba, the caliph, and the first righteous relationship with the caliph, the the king of time and his immediate patrons have often been mentioned in all the four literatures you will find. So here in Madhumalati also Banan mentions about the king Shah. And then the author thanks his spiritual guide. So in that case, uh, when you read Madhumalati, he thanks the author thanks Muhammad Gao. The stories are. Uh, in all these four vernacular literature, they are set in the ambience of the court with the kings and the queens, the prince and the princes. And the you have all those natural surroundings which are uh, very much in sync with the Midganga Basin, like the fresh gardens and cool running water. There are characters of demon and uh, heavenly nymphs and there are magical events. See, in each of the poems, uh, the heroine has been described with symbolism of, uh, uh, you know, from toe to head description. The first encounter of the lover and the beloved is treated as conveying the Sufi concept of love. And the meeting, uh, it's actually kind of the meeting of the soul with the divinity. So after the initial contact with the divine beauty, the beauty is taken away, and uh, you know then in all the four stories you will find that the hero begins to suffer from vira. So there is a separation. Here also in Madhumalati you have a separation for some time between Manohar and Madhumalati. Now in the if you read through the plot, they have certain if uh, you should try to. Uh, understand the plot of the story, they have certain uh, formulaic elements that are drawn from earlier canons and stories. And I mentioned that how from various Islamic literatures, the various motives have been taken by uh, Bangran Rasgiri. So the trials of the lovers through the demons and uh, their fights or basically the various the, the, the spirits these are all spiritual values that, which uh, the Sufis were trying to tell through these stories. There are also a transformation of the hero into yogi which shows the influence of, you know, oh, wow. at that time, the Guruknaz Pant. And in most of these stories, especially in Madhumaldi, you will find that the Bara Masa is a, is is a part of description of uh, you know, the beloved suffering from the pain of separation, the uh, Vira. You know. So Bara is the 12 seasons, and which is uh, very much uh, uh, common, which is very much uh, in sync with the Midgang basin 12 seasons. Now, what is so different? In, you know, if we read the various uh, primakhyans, these are the common characteristics that we find. But what is the difference that and what is so different about Madhu Mauti? uh now, if we read this story uh the story differs in the framework of the story as such. The story begins with the meeting of the hero and heroine indicating you know the uh of the uh, shatari silsila which uh, Offers to the disciple the spiritual path. So, it, in other words, it is a love for divine beauty, and this is not the case with other Sufi silsilas. So, there, one uh, in various other silsilas, you will find the gradual progression of achievement of divine love. But here, uh, you have, uh, you know, you know the. The the suffering, and it you know the story begins with the meeting of the two. So it's 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 a kind of a shaptari speciality, which is very much uh, reflected in the literature Madhumalati. There is also a major emphasis on yogic practices in Madhumalati. Uh, this is because Moma Gaus had composed the. Uh, the Persian translation at that time of uh, of, a, of, a, of a literature, amrit Kundal, which uh, was a Sanskrit text on yoga. So Manjhan uh, must have read it, and he had included many yogic practices which uh, uh, the Shattaris emphasized on. So the Shataris always claim that their method of the spiritual development was swifter than the other Silsilas. And their method of spiritual development and Tarika of achievement of the spiritual path is not the fana. Rather, the romance ends with the, the blissful union of the two pairs of the happy lovers. So, you, this is for the first time in a Premakshan story that you find that the separation is then ending with the coming together of the lovers. Where in other stories, you find that uh, the end of the story is not always the happy ending.